This interview was supported by an unrestricted educational grant from Beatrice. Beatrice had no role in the selection of the topics or the selection of the speakers and has not vetted or reviewed the content of any of the interviews. The views expressed by speakers are their own and may not necessarily represent the views of the IMS. Hello, I'm Dr. Marla Shapiro and I'm on the Board of Trustees of the International Menopause Society. And I'm so lucky and happy to be joined today by Dr. Pauline Mackey, who is going to help us navigate through one of the most important topics for our patients during perimenopause and menopause, and that's mood changes with our estrogen changes during this period of time. But firstly, Dr. Mackey, for our healthcare practitioners, can you please introduce yourself? Yes, of course. I'm Pauline Mackey, Professor of Psychiatry, Psychology, and Obstetrics and Gynecology at the University of Illinois at Chicago and I am a member of the Board of Trustees of the International Menopause Society. So let's start with a general tough question. The link between menopause and depression. Is there a link? Is there a hormonally mediated loss of estrogen that is impacting on depression during this period of time? There is indeed a link. So we gathered together the world's experts in this topic and pull together the first guidelines to identify and treat perimenopausal depression. And the evidence base, the systematic review, really confirmed that women do experience a decrease in their mood as they transition through the menopause. Now, what about clinical depression? There, the research shows that it depends largely on whether a woman has a history of major depressive disorder. If a woman has a history of major depressive disorder prior to the menopause, she is highly likely, three to four times likely, to experience an exacerbation of her major depressive disorder during this time. Indeed, it was estimated that about 57% of women with a history of major depression will experience a major depressive episode during the transition. So clinicians really need to pay particular attention to this group of women. The onset of clinical depression in other women is much less frequent. So who are those other women? The other women are women who are very estrogen sensitive. So they're sensitive to estrogen withdrawal. We know that this phenotype, if you will, exists because clinical studies have shown that if you take those women and now they've aged through the menopause, so these are women who experienced a new onset of perimenopausal depression, never had a history of it. Now they're older and you recreate menopause by giving them estrogen and then withdrawing estrogen, they become depressed again, whereas other women don't, okay? So there is this estrogen sensitivity. Not a surprise to clinicians, they know this phenotype, right? So those are the women for whom estrogen might be helpful in terms of treating their clinical depression. Is it fair then to say that depression at midlife in the perimenopause presents differently than at other times in life? It does present differently and menopause practitioners are in a very unique position to be treating all of the factors that can influence mood in women at this time. So what are those factors? There is a link between vasomotor symptoms and depressive symptoms at the subclinical level, a very strong link, in fact, between the severity of those two symptoms. So treating the vasomotor symptoms 
can in fact improve mood in women. And we know that from clinical trials. So solid data there. Part of that, not a surprise to the clinician, is due to improvements in sleep. And sleep disruption from vasomotor symptoms does spill over into mood the next day. So that's a, a very important aspect. Now, interestingly, the link between vasomotor symptoms in clinical depression is a little more tenuous, not as robust in the literature. However, for women with moderate to severe vasomotor symptoms, we know that, that um, having those day after day, night after night, affects sleep. And that disturbed sleep will, in fact, impinge further on their clinical depression symptoms. So treating those vasomotor symptoms appears to be very important. So here's a twofold question. Do we treat depression differently than at menopause? And will menopausal hormone therapy be useful to treat depression then? So because most of the women who experience clinical depression during the menopausal transition are women who have a history of depression, what we want to do is we want to use the therapy, presumably an SSRI, an SNRI, sometimes psychotherapy, whatever that treatment was that worked for them in the pre-menopausal period is what we want to use first. So first-line therapy, why? Because the women who are at risk for a major depressive episode in the transition are women with a history of depression. Okay. So let's, let's, so that's really, that's a dividing line. That's very important for us to reiterate to practitioners. That's that right. For menopausal health practitioners, you really need to ask, I think actively, not just wait to be told, do you have a history of previous depression? I think a very important screening question that all of us need to now put in our bag of questions. Very important. And to that end, Dr. Shapiro, there was a very interesting study out of the University of North Carolina that showed that women who had been um, randomized to hormone therapy in the perimenopause, prospectively, those women were less likely to develop depression during the menopausal transition. So theoretical, theoretically, uh, we could begin to treat those women during the menopausal transition because after all, 57% of them are going to have a recurrence of their depression. So this is absolutely something that we want to have on our radar. We wanna be really comfortable prescribing the appropriate therapies for, this women, for these women. This is made much easier by the fact that the guidelines say, find out what worked for her in the past, and that's what we prescribe to her currently. In addition to that, getting to your question about do we treat it differently at the menopause, we do because we want to treat the vasomotor symptoms that occur. So we want to use the indication, um, uh, so the guidelines for using hormone therapy to treat vasomotor symptoms and add that on for the women who are having the hot flashes, because of course that will exacerbate the symptoms of women as they transition through the menopause. So is this something that you would do sequentially or concurrently in that woman who has a history of depression and is coming in with a worsening of her mood and severe hot flashes and night sweats? Or, or do we do one at a time and then bring them back? I think it depends on the severity of both symptoms. I might um, recommend treating to the most severe symptom first and then seeing whether or not there's a clinical response. Uh, if both are severe, one can onboard both of them at the same time. That's a possibility as well. And we do know that mood can be quite severe for many women. 
at this time. And I think our, our goal is to become very comfortable having this conversation and as comfortable prescribing treatments for depression as we are to prescribing treatments for vasomotor symptoms. And then, as always, we can't ignore the role of lifestyle, either for women who accept treatment or women who don't want to accept a pharmaceutical treatment. What other advice can we give them from an evidence point of view that they can add this on with this philosophy that it's never too late to make a change? So here I think it's really important that we move beyond our biological lens of depression and recognize that there are myriad factors in a woman's life at midlife that can affect her mood, relationship issues, job stress, other dealing with the fact that we're getting older at midlife and all of the challenges that come with that realization. So for those issues, the evidence base for cognitive behavioral therapy is overwhelming. Okay, so this is a manualized therapy, takes years and years of training to deliver this type of therapy. That works for those issues. Will an SSRI improve the way that you deal with a bad relationship? I don't think so. So the other kind of referral stream that's really important for practitioners to become comfortable with is that cognitive behavior therapy. Have the conversation with your patients about how medication doesn't affect all of the, the different inroads into um, mood. So that's one. The other one is aerobic exercise. Randomized trials show that aerobic exercise is especially powerful. It's a powerful tool in improving mood in both men and women. There's an interesting side note. There's some new data to suggest that if that's done outside and with other people, it's even better. Okay, so doing it alone at one's house, it's a good start. But right. there is this suggestion that there are better ways to exercise to improve mood. But we know that it, it releases different neurotransmitters in the brain. We can measure this on our brain scan, evidence-based for that. Healthy diet's important. Sleep hygiene, critically important to maintain um, mood in our patients. I think that you're talking about social connectedness as well, which can be a boost to mood. So yes. I think some very important questions for us to now be adding into our regular functional inquiry that we as practitioners ask women at midlife, making sure to incorporate the question about mood. And so importantly, have you had a previous issue with mood? Yes, exactly right. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. It's been a pleasure.